episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. I am Alex Mellers. And uh, I'm Tai Fu. And I am going to be totally honest. Uh, is my mic too low? Anyway, whatever. I'll just fix it in a minute. I think it should be fine. Anyway, what I wanted to say was I think in the 10-month history or so of Fusion and Hockey Podcast, I don't think... I've ever been this excited to do a show. I am so pumped for this. I had such a good time last night watching the draft lottery, freaking out about, of course, our new favorite team, Team E, earning the rights to drafting Alexi Lafreniere first overall. Uh, but one thing that ruined it a little bit for me was I don't think I have ever seen so many awful takes on the TL as I did last night. Yeah, I mean, uh, hockey Twitter was at its absolute finest last night. Uh, and, uh, well, yeah, the lottery, yeah, the, the lottery. Oh my God. That was, let's start with that. Um, I mean, it was something else. Uh, this, this has been the event of, you know, that's been hyped for the last God knows how long because we've had nothing to watch and, and, uh, yeah, it happened. It happened. And, it, it, and as you said, team E came out as the winner, uh, I mean, my predictions couldn't have seen this coming. I said that they would rig it uh, in order to get some more hype for the the second phase, which absolutely came right, by the way. But instead, they went with a big one. They sent Alexi Lafreniere to a playing team, and we still don't know. We have no idea where this guy's going to end up. Yeah. Actually, as Frank Cervelli put it, there are still more teams that have a chance to win Alexi Lafreniere than do not. So because 16 teams in the play still have a chance to win Lafreniere, while the other 15 are officially out of the running, which include, of course, the bottom seven teams that none of them won last night and the, the top eight teams in the league. So that's pretty crazy. Uh, okay, I was thinking this morning, I had so many thoughts last night coming out like one after the other, like while watching the lottery, even while going on Twitter afterwards, well into the night. And uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that later in the day, like today, when we're done recording the show, I'm going to think about, like, oh man, I had a thought that I should have said because there's just so much I was thinking about. But I took down uh, a couple main ones that I wanted to make sure I hit on. Uh, number one, um, last night on, on Twitter, the word rigged was trending. And um, the lottery is not rigged. The not, lottery is not rigged. I want to make that a very clear. I, I would be willing to put down a large sum of money that the NHL did not rig this draft lottery. Uh, and the fact that the word rigged was trending tells me one thing. Um, Red Wings fans are sore losers. Uh, I don't care. I don't have a, I never really had a bone to pick with Red Wings fans. I mean, they haven't been very good for quite a while at this point. And I barely really, really noticed Red Wings fans this much, but they've really come out of the woodworks as of late with this draft lottery thing. And uh, yeah, I don't. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of uh, what the Red Wings, how Red Wings fans have been acting. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of great ones, as there are with many teams. But uh, the the worst ones are the loudest, as they say. And the Red Wings. Okay, I saw there was there was this diagram 
that that uh, was made of like ever since this new draft lottery format came out in 2016, the Red Wings fans have benefited the least from it. They've dropped like a combined eight spots, I think. So the Red Wings have uh, you could say jobbed. I don't want to say jobbed, but some people could say jobbed by the lottery system. But Red Wings fans seem to take it as, oh, look, uh, this lottery system has been very bad to us by total coincidence. And therefore, it's bad and we need to fix it. And that's just, I mean, okay, obviously you can be frustrated dropping from first to fourth. I would be frustrated too. But don't act like it's rigged against you because it was a coin flip, basically. And in fact, there was like a slightly over 50% chance that you would drop to fourth overall. So all the Red Wings, like, you can be mad, you can be frustrated. But but calling it rigged, I, I, I didn't like that. So, so Red Wings fans uh, who believe that, I just want to say, um, improve your opinion. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought the Red Wings fan were among the funniest uh, among those, you know, garbage takes that we saw last night. Uh, so yeah, as we see, you know, a bunch of crybabies. That's who came up on Twitter. Uh, and I mean, this was the only fitting outcome, right, for for Detroit. Uh, they wouldn't have it any other way other than falling all the way to fourth uh, after all that talk of, you know, uh, you know, they might they're gonna be guaranteed a top two pick and all that. Well, uh, they weren't, and they dropped the fourth. Uh, and, you know, there is always going to be some team that gets, you know, quote-unquote jobbed or, or you know, benefits the least from the lottery system. It just happens to be Detroit. Uh, for some reason, they take those numbers personally uh, and they call it rigged. When I say it's when I say the NHL is ringing it in order to get more attention for phase two, I, I'm like, please take it with a grain of salt. I'm, uh, I'm joking here. Uh, I don't honestly believe that the NHL would rig it. I just think that, you know, it's a funny coincidence. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Detroit fans, uh, maybe you need to uh, take things a little less personally. I mean, I couldn't imagine being like, like that emotionally attached to the to the outcome of the team like that. And then when it just doesn't go my way, I I just call it the league as a, as a rigged system. Yeah, I will. I think well, I can totally imagine being that upset if Montreal if like Montreal were in Detroit's position. But calling it rigged is not a step I would take. Uh, I would be upset if it dropped to fourth overall too. Um, which kind of leads me to my next main point that I want to talk about, which is one of the reasons I think I was getting a little bit frustrated on the on the TL last night, and it's that most people still don't have an understanding on how this draft lottery actually worked, and they were just like saying, I don't know, it was something very subtle where like they were tweet, like I would see a tweet and I was like, I'm not sure you really get what's going on. Like one example of this was people like not necessarily even Red Wings fans, people saying, oh, it's rigged that they gave uh, a play-in team the top pick. They're just going to, you know, get all this attention for the next however month and a half or wherever, whenever phase two is. And people didn't really realize there was a 24.5% chance that a play-in team was going to win this lottery, which is uh, a much higher, significantly higher odds than Detroit had to win the first pick, just uh, ever so slightly less chance than Ottawa had to win the first pick. It was a one in four shot. So basically, like, if you take a coin and flip it, and if it lands on heads twice in a row, that's about the same odds of that happening as a playing team winning. So this isn't a crazy, ridiculous outcome. We should have all been more or less not expecting this, but this was one of the most likely outcomes. And people were all confusing this with, like... um. Because Team E specifically was the one that won the top pick. Uh, shout out to Team E, by the way, our new second favorite team. Uh, and them specifically, they had a 2.5% chance, uh, 25 lottery ball combinations out of 1,000, which is very small if you look at that in a vacuum. I think it would have been like the Jets were, would have been in that position if they had just done like bottom 15 by points percentage, which would have been, uh, I think, 
at least t- I think tied for like the biggest jump any team has had in this new lottery thing. So team me by itself, that's a little surprising, but any, any mystery team at all, like, no, like this was a very possible outcome. Yeah. And, and just for the three picks as a whole, you know, I think there was over a 50% chance that uh, a play in team would end up, or like a mystery team would end up winning one of the top three picks. So this is not, you know, a shocking outcome. Uh, I mean, it is kind of you know, it is surprising to see them win the first overall pick, but uh, to have to have a team, you know, to have a phase two was was always going to be statistically the most likely outcome. Uh, and for some reason, a lot, of, yeah, and, and I think you have it right. It's just I think the the process this time around, because it is such a special circumstance, is just really complicated. I mean, even for me, I'm I'm reading as much as I can on the format. It took me a while to understand. Uh, you know how the whole system works, and and last week it was just last week on the podcast when I learned that you know multiple mystery teams could win you know the lottery, so we could have like two mystery teams win the lottery. I didn't know that could happen until last week. So yeah, uh, it's just it's just the the reality of the situation, I guess, and it's just the consequence of you know having to make these adjustments. And I but I think I think the NHL maybe they could have done like a better job, you know, really trying to put out the explanations, you know, really posting it everywhere to make sure as many people could understand as possible. But as a whole, I think the format, I think it was pretty well executed. Uh, and, you know, it's just the numbers fell this way and ended up that team, team E ended up winning. And I certainly don't have any problems with that. Yeah, okay. Um. About people not really understanding it. it okay, it's a confusing system. I understand that. And maybe the NHL could have explained it better. It's honestly not that easy to explain. But I was starting to think, should the NHL have um, maybe come up, like, should we put blame on them with coming up with a system that's so complicated to understand when the draft lottery should be like an entertainment event? And then I was thinking, no, they shouldn't do that, even though I can maybe understand where that point is coming from. Because the NHL, or whoever's in charge of making these decisions, quote-unquote creative decisions it should be their job to come up with things that most people wouldn't be able to come up with that make a ton of sense and i have said several times on this show i think they pretty much nailed it with this draft lottery system and if most fans don't really have their head totally wrapped around it then i mean too bad sort of yeah exactly but but this brings me uh to the process for phase two uh so we know that every single we'll, we'll know the eight teams uh, that'll be involved later on, either you know after the play play and series actually occur. But this, but now that we know that you know each of these eight teams uh, have an equal chance, you don't need to go into such a complex lottery format, you know, with you know the four different lottery balls. Uh, I mean, it's time for those creative people to maybe consider something uh, that prioritizes the entertainment format for phase two, because now you have uh, eight teams with equal odds. And I think the possibilities are much more open uh, in which you see something much more entertaining for phase two. Uh, and that's my hope that they actually pull that off uh, because, you know, the lottery system is, you know, you have those staggered odds every single year. Well, this is the one time where everybody is equal odds. I think it's a solid opportunity to see some fireworks go off uh, for phase two of the lottery. And I have a great idea for that because uh, you might know this, uh, the NHL every year, they okay the actual lottery process behind the scenes with the lottery ball machine they released that uh like i think on nhl.com or on youtube afterward with like so i watched the video last night after they put it up they had like i think five people in the room at least they had whoever was filming 
They had Gary Bettman. They had the guy running the lottery ball machine. They had the guy with like his pencil and all the papers with like well, all the like which combination and matched up with which team. And they had the other guy who like every te- in intervals of 10 seconds would say go. And the guy would like press the button and the lottery ball would come out. So they don't put that part on TV because the entertainment value, like the you know dramatic effect is, I would say maybe not necessarily super effective because the lottery balls come out. I think the combination was like 9, 10, 2, 11. And Gary Bettman was like 9, 10, 2, 11. What's that combination? And the guy with the papers was like, uh, that belongs to team E. And you just do it like that. With this, though, with phase two, doing the lottery balls live is, I say, definitely the right way to do it. I don't, Honestly, I don't expect that they will. I think that would be perfect because it's only one lottery, so all the dramatic effect is there. And you don't even need the guy well, with the papers and the pencil. You can literally just have eight balls with eight logos of teams on them. And you go bink, and one of the balls comes out, and that's the team that gets Alexi Lafreniere. Don't tell me that wouldn't be one of the most watched NHL events of all time. That would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. But the one flaw in that plan is that if you're trying to, if you don't want to see these rigged, the NHL is rigged people, these NHL is rigged takes come out of the woodwork after a lottery. Uh, I mean, I don't. I think this system would definitely leave it to prone, leave it pro, like it would be prone to such an occurrence because uh, I mean, it's just one ball. Uh, and we've seen all sorts of, you know, look at the NBA for example. I think they had envelopes at one point uh, for their lottery system, and like the commission, like they put it in a giant container, and the commissioner pulls an envelope out of the stack, and that team is the winner. Uh, and then so they had like a, they had a whole controversy about you know. Uh, they tried to rig it to get the Knicks to win by like by freezing the Knicks envelope so that the commissioner would know what to pick. Uh, so I think if so on that front, you know, if you only have one lottery ball, I mean, I think the conspiracy takes would be all over Twitter if uh, if they realized that hey, all you needed to do was like I don't know, make one ball much more likely to go and like you know get selected through the shoot. Uh, and that would be the new conspiracy, and that's how the NHL is rigged when Edmonton inevitably wins the next round of the lottery. I understand that a little bit. Like, it could be hard for people like us who get tired of rigged takes pretty pretty quickly, at least with me. Uh, but if the NHL isn't rigging it, if they're doing it properly, which I expect they would, then they shouldn't care if people are accusing them of rigging it if they're not actually rigging it. Like, why, why should they be concerned about, oh, people might think we're cheating if you're not actually cheating? Like, right? You understand what I'm saying? And I feel like well, if you're showing the actual lottery ball process on TV, then how how are you going to realistically accuse them of rigging it when you see like lottery balls bouncing around? You can barely even keep track of all the logos flying around, I would assume. Yeah, look, I don't know. Some people believe that there's, I don't know, some complex scientific thing, like the ball was heavier, so it was more, anyway, anyways, I'm not going to get into that, uh, but the other point you made was, you know, should the NHL worry about, you know, looking like they rigged it? Uh, I think they should worry, absolutely. Because, you know, sports a lot is, is based on integrity. Uh, and more, more than anything, really the perception of integrity. And, you know, if the, if the league looks like it's cheating, I mean, that's not a good look at all. Even if they're not cheating, absolutely they should worry. Uh, because, you know, what turns off fans more than knowing that, you know, the, the outcome is, is already predetermined. I mean, that's boring. That's not what sports are about. And if there's any sort of illusion that that's what's happening, it turns off a lot of people. 
so I think the NHL should absolutely worry uh, about whether it looks like it's cheating because, you know, that's really what the basis of sports is. Uh, and so, honestly, the perception of fairness is probably even more important than the actual fairness itself because in terms of popularity, because that's what draws people to watch. If people know it's rigged, they're not going to watch it, you know, unless, you know, unless it's WWE, but I guess, I mean, that, that, that just, yeah. Other than that, I mean, if you look at any of the actual, actual sports, um, I mean, that's the contract that's made with the fans. And if it looks like it's been broken, people will not watch. Yeah. Okay. I understand that. But like the NHL, like they never hide this lottery ball process. They always post it. And if you were only shown the envelope, then fans would be skeptical, like, oh, you could just stuff whatever team you want in the envelope. But they always show this lottery ball process. They show the integrity of it with, like, you know, they're doing literally everything they can to show to the fans this isn't rigged. And yet there are still all these these outcries, like, yes, it is. It's, it's rigged. So, like, at, at one point, like, what's the NHL supposed to do? And if you do this idea that I just came up with, with, like, you're still doing lottery balls, you're still revealing the lottery ball sequence to the public, it's really not that different, except for the fact that you just have one ball you're pulling instead of four. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think I think lotteries, honestly, make good TV. Um, I used to watch every night with pretty solid regularity right before Jeopardy. They would have, like, the New York Oh, yeah, State the New lottery. York lottery. Yeah, me exactly. too. Exactly. I mean, that shit was entertaining. I'd always guess right? the numbers right before it came out. Exactly. And you have to guess it out loud. And then if you do get two numbers, like, you're, you're basically a, you're an oracle. Uh, but, uh, I mean, look, absolutely. I think it would make great TV. Uh, and if you can manage to quiet down the, the rig takes, uh, I mean, that's, that's a solid system. Uh, but the NHL has a lot of possibilities. I think this is one of the best. Uh, but, you know, I, I really hope they make it really entertaining. Uh, to be totally honest, the fact that, you know, they had it at like midway through that hour long broadcast on Sportsnet totally turned it off for me. Uh, I ended up not watching it live. I just, I watched like a stream afterwards. Uh, I mean, it was all the excitement, but I didn't have to watch Gary Bettman talk for like 10 minutes. Um, so yeah, I hope they, they figured out, they really optimize it. Uh, and I mean, that's how you'll, you'll get the most exciting outcome. And that's what, that's what's best for the sport and the league. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I want to talk about this a little bit now from a Habs perspective. And I think maybe we could kind of preface this conversation with uh, a Twitter poll posted by Habs Chronicle that said, uh, would you rather beat the Penguins or uh, lose to the Penguins and have a one in eight shot at uh, Alexis Lafreniere? And the poll, I'm pretty sure that's how it was worded, more or less. And the poll was 81% in favor of losing to Pittsburgh. So I just want to know, what are your initial thoughts on those results? Okay, well, frankly, I'm not surprised uh, because from what I gather, Habs fans have absolutely no faith in this team and they're absolutely right to do so because not a playoff team, dog shit the entire year. The fact that they're in the play-in series is a gift. Um, so, you know, I, I absolutely understand their point of view. Frankly, when it comes to me, I'm pretty torn. Um, and... I, I, this is why I think it's a win-win for the Habs. Either they get that one in eight chance uh, or they make it to, you know, the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, I'm happy either way. If I had to pick one, I think I would pick going for Lafreniere because, you know, one in 16 chance at the cup where basically all the teams are better than you, more talented than you, played better over the course of the regular season than you. Uh over one in eight chance, equal odds. You just you put your faith in a bunch of lottery balls. 
And honestly, I put more faith in the lottery balls than I put in this Habs team. Uh, and so that's what sways my pick. Yeah, I I think I'm probably leaning that same way too, even though it's kind of hard to tell because we haven't seen Habsock in a while. And let's say get into that Pittsburgh series and they have a great start and they win the first game, then it could honestly totally turn everything around for me for how I feel about it. But as I stand today, like I would probably lean the same way as you. Not to mention like if they if they lose the lottery, they'll still end up picking ninth as opposed to 16th if they beat Pittsburgh, which is a big difference. And in this draft where I've said before, and I still believe that for me, at least there's a distinct top eight, apparently uh, Jake Sanderson has worked that way right into the, the thick of that conversation for a lot of people. And I don't necessarily agree with that. So if even in Montreal's picking nine, I could see a scenario where like someone like Sanderson or maybe even like Jack Quinn or Yaroslav Askarov goes in the top eight and Montreal gets a gift like like Cole Perfetti or Alex Holtz or something at number nine. I yeah, absolutely. I mean it's I think the Habs are probably the team that benefits the most. I mean, obviously nobody benefits from a benefits from a pandemic, but from the aftermath, uh the situation that the NHL has presented, I think the Habs are probably uh the biggest beneficiaries out of it because any situation you look at, it's a win-win-win. They either make it to the playoffs, which is a win. They either win the lottery, which is a win, or they get the number nine overall pick, which is also a win, I would say. Uh, you compare that with, you know, Buffalo, uh, that train wreck of an organization. They did not win the lottery last night, so they're going to pick a 10. And they have no chance at making Buffalo's the playoffs. Buffalo's eighth. Or eighth, right. Eighth. And they don't have a shot at the playoffs. So, you know, that's Buffalo. Uh, but, yeah, I think, the Habs, I think we should all be grateful as Habs fans uh, that – they were put in such a fortuitous position because honestly, either way, uh, no matter how the cards fall, I'll be pretty happy with the outcome. Yeah. I wouldn't call picking ninth a win for Montreal. That's kind of like more or less what you would expect uh, when you, when you finish eighth last in the NHL, but I, it is a win in the sense that there, we're still going to get at least three games. Well, obviously unless the season's canceled, but if all goes well, at least three games of, uh, of playoffs, to watch and for young guys like Suzuki and Kakanyemi to get a bit of playoff experience and maybe even Alexander Romanov. So that will be nice for sure. One other thing, um, the NHL does have a backup plan for this in case they do have to cancel the season. And it is that to run the, I don't know if you saw this, but basically what they would do is they would run phase two as if the, all the favorites won the plan. So like seeds nine through 12 in the East and West are going into the lottery, would go into the lottery, each having a 12 and a half percent chance. Yeah, I've I, I seen that. And yeah, look, from a house point perspective, it doesn't make much of a difference. And honestly, it's probably a good thing uh, because <laughs> I mean, I think the NHL is shafting a lot of teams with this back. Oh, yeah. uh, if it ends up happening, I mean, teams like Toronto, Pittsburgh uh, and the others that, that are in the plane but would not be eligible. Uh, oh, I would not be a, I would not be happy if I was a fan of one of those teams. Uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting black backup plan. As a house fan, eh, it works out either way. I think that I, I, if you're just comparing like potential backup plans to each other, this one is worse. It's pretty much the best you could possibly hope for for Montreal because what I was expecting to do is to have all sixteen playing teams have equal odds, which would knock Montreal and all the other teams down and odds from 12.5 to 6.25. So this is a big win for Montreal, I think, in terms of potential backup plans. But I've even seen a few Habs fans that are like, oh, Montreal should have higher odds than anyone else if the season's canceled because they were the worst. And uh, 
you know, maybe I can see where you're coming from a little bit, but there's no way in the world that's going to happen. That after we already know that one of these playing teams is getting Lafreniere, that then the NHL decides to boost Montreal's odds. No, no way. There's no way in the world that happens. Yeah, there's no way but it actually happens. But I mean, I, I totally get it. In fact, I might even subscribe to that point of view, absolutely. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, the Habs are the worst team. If they do end up playing in a playing series, they have to face the toughest, toughest opponent. And so if they do miss it, they go into the lottery, I think they should have the highest odds because they were the worst team. Isn't that the whole point of the lottery to reward those worst teams uh, because they, you know, quote unquote, earned a better pick? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, look, at this point, I'm not going to I'm not going to rage about it. I'm not so pissed about it because it is what it is. The Habs have a 12 and percent chance of winning the whole thing. The lottery, I'm happy as it is. Their backup plan does not screw over the Habs. Look, it's a it's a good time. It's a good situation for the Habs. Either way, it works out pretty well. Okay, so no, there's a little thing you said there that I want to kind of dive into a little bit. I don't remember if I really went so in depth about this and on the, previously on the show, but this idea that the lottery is meant to reward the worst teams is kind of true, but not for the reason that a lot of people think. Detroit was the worst team, and they were rewarded with, you can't drop lower than fourth overall. You're guaranteed a top four pick. That's your reward. Ottawa was guaranteed dropping to lower than fifth. Uh, and the auto pick by San Jose couldn't drop lower than sixth, and so on. That's your reward for where you finish in the standings. Nobody is rewarded with, I mean, okay, let me, let me uh, choose my words wisely here. Um, with this lottery format, it's impossible for you to earn a top three pick. The only way you can get a top three pick is by being lucky. So this idea that Detroit or Ottawa or any bad team deserves pick one, two, or three flies totally out the window. Like, it's impossible to be so bad that you have earned any one of those picks. Those are the lucky zone picks that you only get if you are super lucky and win the lottery, which one of the playing teams is going to be, and which LA was, and which Ottawa was yesterday. Well, I'd argue that you're not earning the pick necessarily, but you're just, you're earning better odds at the pick. Right, you get that. Obviously, you get that guaranteed floor of if you're the worst team, you get the fourth worst pick, fourth best pick. But yeah, you you also secure those better odds, and those I mean, those are that's a significant advantage uh, over any of the other teams. As you see, TV yeah. had a two and a half percent chance, right? So I think you do earn a better shot at the pick. It's not a guarantee at the pick, absolutely, but you did earn those better odds. Yes, yes, you did earn those better odds, but more specifically what I'm trying to say is like a lot of Red Wings fans and even non-Red Wings fans have this notion that because Detroit was so bad uh, that they deserve to have a top three pick. And that just, that logic doesn't follow uh, with the NHL or with me at this at this moment, especially based on this lottery system. Like you don't earn a top three pick no matter how bad you are. Basically, you get better odds at one. You won't drop lower than fourth overall. Those are two advantages, but do, do you get what I'm trying to say? Like, earning a yeah, top three isn't something you can do. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Detroit, Detroit, by being so bad, did not guarantee itself, you know, a lottery pick, right? What it won, it got what it what it deserved, which was those good odds, which did not pan out for them. And now they get the fourth pick. And they didn't deserve anything else. You came in last. You got what you, you were entitled to. And Detroit fans should not... I mean, we're going back to the point that we made at the beginning of the episode is that they're being a bunch of crybabies. And yeah, I would be upset if Montreal would be had fallen eight spots in the last five years. But I wouldn't be accusing the NHL of having a vendetta against Detroit. Yeah, me neither. Um, uh, so I want to talk about because, okay, 
uh, Bob McKenzie's list came out, and I don't know if we're going to jump to that right away, but I, I don't. We can maybe uh, wait on that a little bit. But the point I want to make right now is this might be uh, not in my opinion, but in the eyes of apparently a lot of NHL scouts, uh, a year with a very big gap between number three and number four. It seems like for whatever reason, Lafreniere, Byfield, and Stutzla, whatever order you want to put them in, have kind of separated themselves from the pack as the top three in the eyes of NHL scouts, and things really get wide open at number four, right where Detroit is picking. So like personally, I don't know if we're like a draft ranking special at some point in the future, but at the moment I I'm really kind of torn between Tim Stutzel and Marco Rossi as my number three. So I'd probably lean towards Marco Rossi at number four. If I was Detroit and the top three goes as most people are expecting it today, but there are tons of different possibilities. They could go, go with Jamie Drysdale, Lucas Raymond, uh, there's a rumor floating around that they've done a lot of uh, scouting on Cole Perfetti because Saginaw's kind of like near Detroit. I'm not so sure with my geography, but apparently they've been in and around that arena a lot. And uh, obviously Alex Holtz is maybe an option. And even Yaroslav Askarov, who is uh, the goalie, in case you've forgotten, the, the, some people are calling best goalie prospects since Carey Price. Um, some people are saying Detroit might be t- taking a look at him at number four overall, and not to mention Jake Sanderson, who is, is oddly enough number three on a couple of uh, lists that of that of, of scouts that Bob surveyed for his list. And the Detroit, since they've, uh, I mean, they're weak everywhere, but especially weak on left D, that they might even be looking at him at number four. So, and you might remember like last year, they took Moritz Sider number six, which was one of the most shocking draft picks that I could ever remember seeing. And uh, no one really saw it coming at all either. So I have no idea what Steve Eisman and the Red Wings are going to be thinking. And there's a chance we won't have any more information on draft day than we do now. Yeah. I mean, if you look at that, if you look at a lot of scouts opinions, it just seems like they're all over the board with basically everybody except for like Alexi Lafreniere, everybody else, you know, there's nobody that's really, you know, penciled in it. Well, like there are people, no, nobody's set in stone at number two, set in stone at number three and all the way down the board. Uh, so what happens at number four, it's absolutely wide open. We've seen, you know, as you mentioned, Steve UI has no problems going off the consensus board and just picking, picking who they think is the best. I think Jake Sanderson has had an interesting rise. Uh, I think it's, I think a lot of it has been fueled by, uh, you know, just the recent rookie success that we talked about last week, but also just the fact that, you know, defense prospect there, they don't come nearly in the same quantity as they do in, as they do forward prospects. So there's always a premium on those defensemen. Uh, I want to, before we totally move off of the, the lottery, I want to, because the only team, Team E was not the only team to have won last night. I want to dive into the other two teams that ended up winning. So yeah, let's start with, let's start with Ottawa. I mean, that, that Eric Carlson trade. Wow. That, I mean, it ended up being the pick that won the third, the third pick. And I mean, that's looking mighty painful for San Jose. Yeah, uh, you nailed that one. Uh, very specifically, you said Ottawa via San, via San Jose was going to win the third overall pick. So congratulations to you on that one. Um, it's looking, I would guess at this point, Tim Stutzla is going to be an Ottawa senator. So uh, thereby he will be part of the Eric Carlson return technically. So maybe that trade isn't going to turn out quite as bad as most people thought it would on the day it was made back in September 2018. Um, so I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show, but uh, my, my cousins and my, my uncle and aunt, they live in Ottawa and they're big Sens fans. So they had understandably been looking forward to this moment for basically the entire season. 
uh, hoping to get, you know, Lafreniere or maybe even second pick to get Byfield. So they were a little bit disappointed with the results, at least initially, which I can totally understand, although third and fifth could have been much worse for Ottawa. Uh, they could have dropped as low as fifth and sixth, I think. So anyway, that's not the point. Uh, I was I kind of find it funny. I saw a significant amount of Sens fans on Twitter that were like, oh, this is fantastic. This is super good. This is awesome. I even saw like some people that were like being, oh, the Sens actually, either Byfield or Stutzla would be a better fit for the Sens than Lafreniere. So it's actually good that they lost the lottery. And I, I just feel like it takes such a strange mindset to be like, oh yeah, picking third is actually better than picking first would be. So shout out to those Sens fans who are, uh, I would say, painfully optimistic. Yeah, I'd point out that if you are a Sens fan in general, you have to have a pretty strange mindset in the first place to <laughs> still stuck with that team. But yeah, I mean, first of all, that mentality makes absolutely no sense. So, I mean, no, third is not better than first in, in any situation. Uh, but, but look, it's that Ottawa team. I think Pierre Dorian has done a fantastic job. I mean, yeah, you said it. The Carlson trade looked awful when it was when it first happened. But now you look, you know, a, few, a couple years down the road, Carlson looks like he can't turn anymore. And meanwhile, you've got, yeah, now you have the third overall pick. You're going to get an absolute blue chip prospect uh, with that pick. And so, yeah, I think, I think Ottawa, like it, it, it made out as, as well as it could from that trade. And as, for the franchise as a whole, despite the ownership problems uh, and that fiasco, I think Pierre Dorian has done a fantastic job of getting this team where it needs to be. And that's, you know, straight for the rebuild. You know, they're rebuilding the whole the whole process going on there. And now they've got a whole young core, and they're going to add either Stutzler or Byfield, presumably, unless they go off the board. Uh, but, yeah, solid stuff. And, I mean, Ottawa fans have the right to be excited because, you know, you endure this much Eugene Melnick, and he's still there, but at least you get the third overall, third overall pick. Not much to be excited over in Ottawa, so... I mean, good for them. I'll let them save for the moment. Uh, all right, so you want to move on to the LA Kings now? Because that's a very, very interesting one. Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, so I actually – so the LA Kings, I would say, have the best prospect pool in the NHL, at least very close to the top. And adding uh, probably Quinton Byfield to it, uh, it's, it's, I don't think it's even really a question anymore. Um the one thing that is like worrisome, I would say, for Kings fans is all those terrible Albatross deals that are currently on the team. I'm not sure how much longer Jonathan Quick is signed for. Um, maybe I could check that out. But uh, Drew Doughty is the one that I think really hurts. $11 million, and I think he has at least six years left on that contract. I think it's seven, though. Uh, Kopitar, I'm not too worried about that one. Uh, it's $10 million, and he's still very effective. And that deal is like already halfway done, I think think uh yeah it looks like Doughty has seven years left and quick after this one oh no Doughty has no after this six years left for Doughty and after this only three years left for Jonathan quick uh same with uh well Dustin Brown and Jeff Carter's two years left so it's no, none of those deals are really disasters I would say except Drew Doughty could turn out to be anyway kind of got a little carried away with all those contracts um the LA Kings I I tweeted something this morning uh which is a projection of the LA Kings uh, forward group, maybe not as soon as next year, but possibly in the near future. Uh, Dustin Brown, Anze Kopitar, Gabe Velarde, Samuel Fogamo, Quinton Byfield, Jeff Carter, Alex Iafalo, Alex Turcott, Arthur Kaliev, 
Blake Lazzotti, Adrian Kempe, and Akil Thomas. And I didn't even include Rasmus Kupari, a recent first-round pick, or Jared Anderson-Dolan, second-round pick in 2017. Uh, I also added to the tweet, just ignore the defense and goalies, because um, the pipeline for goalies is basically nothing for the LA Kings, and Jonathan Quick is uh, headed south fast. And with defense, I mean, they've had a couple decent pieces. Tobias Bjornfeldt's looking like he's going to be pretty good. Mikey Anderson, too. But that forward group is probably going to be among the absolute best in the NHL within the next two or three years. Oh, yeah. I mean, you read those, you read that list, and it's just that, that it's absolutely stacked uh, in terms of prospects. And so, I mean, you talk about these Albatross deals. I don't think they're so bad, uh, especially with the youth on this team. I think by the time that these players actually, you know, make it to the NHL and perhaps even new, need a new contract, I think these most of these contracts will be up with the exception of Drew Doughty. But, you know, that, that, that's done. But other than that, everybody else is basically, their contracts will be up. So I think the Kings are in great shape for their forward group. And But yeah, that defense and that goaltending situation is concerning. But, you know, we've, we've seen teams, one that comes to mind is Toronto, right? Where they just build on the forward core. They go with so much talent there. Their D-line, their D-core, you know, leaves something to be desired. Uh, but, you know, look, absolutely. I think, I think the Kings... With this fortuitous bounce in the lottery, they it's a team to look out. And, I mean, it seems unfair because they only won the Cup, like, what, six years ago? Uh, but, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if they made a comeback because you look at that forward core, if they can get a solid goaltender, you know, we see, we see a lot of teams that, you know, they just need that solid – they need that one guy. I think L.A. is one of them. If they can get that and then the, they can develop these prospects properly – Definitely a team to look out for the future because you you, you look at that list of players, absolutely stacked in the forward court. Yeah, uh, there was some speculation. Uh, I don't know if it was based in fact or anything, but that if LA had happened to get jumped a couple times in the lottery and fall back to like sixth or seventh, they would be one of the teams that would take a long, hard look at Askarov to be to replace Quick, be, be the goalie of the future. Uh, that won't happen anymore. I would say, honestly, I would say Chicago's probably the most likely one to get Askarov unless they beat the Oilers and end up picking like around 16, then I don't, don't know where he would go. But that's that's a conversation for, for another day, probably. Um, do you want to look at Bob's list now, or do you want to do our, our other little uh, draft lottery activity ranking sort of thing? We'll take a quick, we'll quick run-through at, at some of the, the bigger points in Bob's list. Um, what? Well, okay, so let's get right into it. And the, and the first thing that obviously jumps out, we've been talking about Quinton Byfield at number two, but for some reason, the number of scouts... Uh, do not have him in that spot. And enough so that on his list, Quinton Byfield has been surpassed by Tim Stutzler for the number two spot. And he finds himself at number three. I mean, this one's a real head scratcher, isn't it? Yeah. So for anyone who might not be familiar with Bob McKenzie's list, which, uh, I mean, you probably are if you're listening to this podcast. But anyway, just in case, uh, he surveys 10 scouts currently working in NHL front offices. He asked them for their draft list. I'm not sure. I think it's like the top 93 he asked them all for or something. And he basically like kind of averages them out, maybe adjusts for outliers and stuff, and comes up with a list based on that. So this is not Bob McKenzie's own opinion. Uh, this is uh, more or less the opinion of the NHL scouts. So Tim Stutzla, as Bob McKenzie points out, out of the 10 scouts he surveyed, five of them had him at number two, and five of them had him at number three. So I was pretty surprised that none of the scouts had Stutzla lower than number three. Uh, Quentin Byfield, on the other hand, five of the scouts had him at two also, um, three of them had him at number three, and two of them had him at number six, which I was very surprised by, and I'm really not so sure what some of the reservations are with Quinton Byfield's game, except for the fact that maybe he's so physically dominant 
in the OHL that maybe it'll be harder for him to do that in the NHL, but that is not such a big concern for me and for most other prospect people that I read. Yeah, I don't know how these these two scouts in particular have him at number six. How I don't see how they could possibly find five players in this draft who are better than Quinton Byfield. I mean, it's just it's puzzling. And yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't understand. Uh, I hope for LA's sake that they're not one of the teams that had him at number six. Because yeah, and it's something to look out for. I mean. Look, these are actual NHL scouts, and if they actually hold that weird opinion, I guess, I mean, they work for the NHL teams. They're not just, you know, armchair GMs. So, I mean, I think it's fascinating. Uh, I I don't understand. I mean, I just thought for such a long time that Lafreniere Byfield was so locked in at one and two. Uh, I'm surprised that Stuzla has, you know, skyrocketed to number three territory, even number two for some people, because... It just seemed like it was kind of a mess after number two, right? Like it could have been anyone, but apparently it's been solidified. Uh, so, yeah, I don't see it personally. Byfield over Stutzla is who I would take uh, 10 times out of 10 because I, I I don't see why I would take Stutzla first. Yeah, uh, talk about Bob's list. I think we should probably, we could maybe like focus mostly on the top 10 or like top 12 or so because that's where most of the interesting things are. But I want to point out like a couple of weird things I thought. I'm not going to dive into too much. Caden Gooley is at number 14. That's personally too high for me. I have him right on the bubble of the first round, considering offensive upside is probably limited, and he's probably going to end up being more of a, like I think he was compared to like maybe a, a Ryan Lindgren with maybe a little bit more offensive upside type of player. Uh, same Sort of same kind of thing with Braden Schneider, who's ranked at number 17. Uh, Noel Gundler is ranked 28, and that is way too low for me. I think... He is a top 15 prospect in this draft. And I think maybe because he's been uh, near to the top of the rankings for like the past two, two and a half years or so, that sometimes you tend to like, you know, overanalyze those players. And if they maybe don't quite live up to the hype, then they fall down the rankings more than they should. It's kind of what happened to, to Jacob Chikrin in 2016 when he slipped all the way to Arizona at number 16 and then made the NHL right away. And uh, William Wallander also number 27. Uh, not that surprised about that one, but uh, we've I would think it's safe to say we've got a bit of a soft spot for him after doing that uh, our first profile on him and Emil Andre, and maybe it would be nice to see him ranked a little higher up. Yeah, I agree on that front. Uh, and, you know, those two German prospects that we did a couple weeks ago, uh, I think it's fascinating that Lucas Reichel is ranked higher than J.J. Paterka, and Reichel, they, he has him at 20. Uh, and... I thought we both agreed that Paterka was the better player uh, and we expected him to be drafted higher. But, I mean, you look at that list, it looks like Reichel's ranked higher. Yeah, I, I think I'm probably a bigger fan of, of Paterka than most people. Uh, and, you know, yeah, for some, whatever reason, I don't know, you didn't seem too high on Lucas Reichel, but I had him, like, right in the bubble of the first round, too. And people are big fans of him because, I mean, uh, it goes deeper than this, but... You look at their numbers playing in the same league. Lucas Reichel has had better production, and I mean that does say something. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, if you're you're feeling lazy, you can just look at the points. Uh, but I just felt like you know, with the style of gameplay and just in terms of ceiling and floor, I thought I thought Paterka had the higher ceiling, and I thought you know that's why people would like him. Uh, I guess I get this. I guess the scouts uh, feel differently. Uh, any other last remarks about this list before we move on? Uh, well, I don't want to move on from the list yet. I just because I, I want to talk a little oh. bit more about the the higher ranked prospects. Uh, Jamie Drysdale's at number four. Uh, it's not too surprising. I'm a big Jamie Drysdale fan. Uh, Marco Rossi is at number seven. 
below Cole Perfetti and Lucas Raymond. Uh, personally, I do not stand for this slander against Marco Rossi. Uh, I don't think we're going to do a prospect profile today because there's a lot of stuff to get to. We're probably just going to save those for weeks where there isn't much to talk about. But whenever our next one is, we will be talking about Marco Rossi and Jack Quinn. Marco Rossi currently, as I just mentioned, uh, I think he's right up there in that tier, right next to Tim Stutzla. I really think he's that good. And I think that there were a fair, I think like nine out of the um, 10 scouts that Bob surveyed had him in the top 10. And like one of them had him at number 18. So honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if it was the same guys who had by or one of the guys who had by at number six that had Rossi at 18. Just makes absolutely no sense to me. This is, I think Marco Rossi is going to be a, a superstar center and he should be higher than that. Uh, do you have any thoughts about Rossi? Because I also want to talk about Jake Sanderson. Yeah, sure. I mean, Marco Rossi, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, I had my prospect uh, analysis ready. So, you know, I've taken a look at this guy, and he looks absolutely fantastic, right? And I think this is the size bias we've, we've talked about uh, in the scouting department in the NHL. It's just they, they seem to put – they seem to overvalue the size. And then players who are undersized, we've seen in the past, you know, the, the big one is Alex DeBrincat, obviously, that keeps getting brought up. He's like the, the role model for undersized forwards that, you know – Go that fall in the draft and do absolutely fantastic. I think Rossi. I think he's like he's five nine on this list, and I think that's I think that's what gets him to drop to number seven on this list. You talk about that scout who had him at number eighteen. I think it's the size because I don't see any other big knocks on the game that would drop him all the way to eighteen or even to seven because his game is just so good. I I just I think it's the size bias that's coming into effect here. Yeah, I, I probably agree with you on that. Uh, whoever gets Marco Rossi is going to be a, a steal, I would say, if he, unless he, if he falls beyond the top five, which uh, not trying to get my hopes up, but if Montreal's picking ninth and uh, Rossi slides all the way down there, that'd be pretty nuts. Anyway, the other guy I want to bring up is Jake Sanderson, who we've already mentioned a couple times on this episode alone for various reasons. Two of the ten scouts, according to Bob McKenzie, had Jake Sanderson ranked number three on this list. And using our skills of deductive reasoning, uh, we already know that five scouts had Stutzel number three. Uh, three scouts had Byfield number three. Uh, and there was also the five scouts that had Stutzel, didn't have Stutzel number three, had a number two. So we know for sure that the two scouts that had Quentin Byfield ranked number six are the exact same scouts that had Jake Sanderson ranked number three and thereby also had him ranked as the best defenseman in the draft ahead of Jamie Drysdale, which is uh, controversial to say the least. I mean, Jake Sanderson has kind of had like a rocket up the rankings as of late. I probably wouldn't uh, start looking at him until like 10, 11, 12, 13, around that range. I hope Montreal doesn't take him if they're picking ninth because, I mean, they're already, as we mentioned, loaded on the left defense pipeline, and there will be better forwards available. So it's very interesting. Like, Jake Sanderson... From what I hear, I haven't really done such a deep dive on him yet. Maybe we'll profile him at some point. Maybe we should. Uh, he's very good defensively, probably better on his own end than Jamie Drysdale is. But the offensive upside is similar to like a Ryan McDonough, Hampus Lindholm, maybe type of player, which I mean, very good, very good defenseman, probably does very well in your top pair. But Jamie Drysdale has a much higher ceiling and made more of like a, a Kale McCarr game breaking type quality. Yeah, I I just I I just I hope that those two scouts neither of them work for the Habs because <laughs> the opinions of these guys I mean 
total head scratchers. I keep saying head scratcher over and over because that's what it is. I have no other word for it other than I just I don't understand. I don't understand what they see in Sanderson. I mean, I think he had a bit of a, a, an offensive resurgence near the end of the season, but I don't think that should place him. I don't think a hot stretch at the end of the season should place you in the top five, the top three for some of these people. It's just I don't understand what the logic is. Uh, it's just I don't – like you look at the consistency aspect – you know, we're talking about Quinton Byfield. He's been so good for so long. And you talk about perhaps some over-analysis. Maybe that's what's happening with him because he was, you know, basically written in stone, Quinton Byfield number two for so long that, you know, people just started analyzing him maybe a bit too much. As you said earlier about, you know, certain prospects. Uh, Jake Sanderson, and I think it's the opposite effect. You know, kind of, you know, middle of the first round kind of prospect. He, people look at him. He becomes a hot buzz buzz name in the scouting world and all of a sudden you see people ranking him at what number three that's ridiculous so i mean yeah i I look forward to profiling the guy because i want to see what these people see uh and based on my preliminary reports i don't know if it's there in terms of you know i don't think the value is there taking him in the top five or in the top eight for that matter bob's list i think it's worth, worth mentioning is usually extremely accurate uh, with in terms of where the prospects get drafted, like most of the first round, they're like near the top or only within like one or two picks or maybe three picks for a while. And obviously, as the draft goes on, it starts to get a little bit less and less accurate, which is what you expect. And usually, only like very few big jumps or falls, like like Moritz Sider for LeBroberg last year went a lot higher than expected. But this year, I think that because obviously with the pandemic and scouts having you know less opportunity to opportunity to see these players in near the end of the season and in the playoffs and less opportunity to talk to each other too there's a good chance this list is not going to end up being as reflective of how the draft actually ends up playing out as it is in a normal year yeah i mean it's you know i think i mean i I don't i don't know exactly what to add to that other than yeah i mean it's something to keep in mind and do you have anything else to add no, no, I think that's it for, for Bob's list. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe it'll even, like, honestly change between now and the draft if, like, some of these players start playing with, like, their European teams or their junior teams with, like, the 2020-2021 season, if that gets going before the draft even happens. So that's going to be an interesting thing to watch, too. Anyway, uh, well, last thing with, like, the or maybe not last thing with the draft lottery, I don't really know, because we'll probably be talking about it for quite a while. And, but uh, we have each ranked... Um, the 16 teams that still have a shot at Lafreniere from our least favorite to our favorite possible landing destinations. And uh, you ready to, you ready to get going on this? All right, let's go. Let's, let's get her going. How should we do this? Yeah. So I think we'll do it kind of like we did the logo ranking. Like one of us will do our full list and then the other person will do their full list. Okay, sure. That's good. I think, I think I went first for the logo ranking. So I would, uh, I would like you to go first for this one. All right, all right. So I'll go from bottom to top. How's that? So yeah. sh- should I do an analysis? Should I do like a quick, like a one-liner about each team or should I just run through my list? Uh, maybe I'll give a couple sentences about each one. Okay. So last place, I mean, I don't think it'd be any, I think it's any surprise to anybody who listens to this show uh, on a consistent basis. I have Toronto. That would be an absolute fucking nightmare. If Toronto won the draft lottery and got Alexi Lafreniere, I think I would quit hockey, uh, following hockey. It would be absolute just nightmare scenario. I don't even want to think about it. All right. Like I just, I have nothing written next to Toronto because I didn't even want to contemplate the scenario for too long. Uh, just no, fuck no. For the love of God, do not send Lafreniere to Toronto. I wouldn't be able to handle seeing his face six times a year or however many times we play him. 
And no, I just I don't even want to I don't even want to think about it. Uh, 15 New York Rangers. Uh, we've talked about our disdain for this franchise pretty recently, given it's uh, a series of questionable, you know, moves uh, related to social justice issues. So, you know, that wouldn't be nice to see that from your go there. Uh, 14 Columbus. It's just so boring. It's such a tiny market. And I'm scared you send you send us you send a startle you send a star like Lafreniere over to Columbus. I feel like he might disappear, and we'll just like we'll hear about him like two times a year when he finishes like fourth in scoring in the league. And so you know, no thanks to Columbus. Thirteenth, uh, New York Islanders. I just I don't trust that system wherein you know like it's it's very defense oriented. Uh, I know that it's a it's a nice fit there because they need the goal scoring, but I feel like you know Lafreniere. I wouldn't want to see him in that boring defensive system. Uh, Florida Panthers, it's kind of a similar thing to Columbus where they're in a small market. And, I mean, they already have a bunch of stars there in, like, Huberto Barkov, but we never hear about them. So, you know, I don't want to just add another star to that mix that ends up disappearing in the Florida sun. Uh, I would say we hear maybe a little bit too much about Alexander Barkov, but that's just my opinion. That's true. Uh, That's a fair point. But still, uh, they've got a bunch of nice... You know, star players there, but I don't want to see him disappear again. 11 and 10, kind of a tie between Winnipeg and Nashville. I really don't have much to say other than, you know, those would be middle of the pack fits for that. And that's all I can say about those two teams. Uh, Calgary would be a fascinating fit because, I mean, that team is trying to contend. They've kind of been up and down in terms of, you know, making the playoffs and whatnot. And that would be a fascinating addition. And we would love to see him stay in Canada. Why not? Uh, number eight. Carolina. I mean, that's a young, fun team. Uh, add Lafreniere to the storm surge, and I think it'd be great. I think it'd be fun. And once we get to number eight, uh, I think this is where we see teams where, you know, I'd be pretty happy. Well, not pretty happy, but like, you know, it would be fun to see him land in any of these destinations. Uh, number seven, I have Vancouver because, you know, another young team doesn't hurt that they're Canadian as well. And you add him to the likes of, you know, Patterson, obviously, Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, all that. That's another young contending team. And he'd fit beautifully there. And, you know, he'd be in all the headlines up here in Canada. Uh, number six, it would be, or no, number six, it would be Pittsburgh. Uh, I would hate to see Pittsburgh get another fucking player uh, with, the, with the likes of, you know, obviously Crosby and Malkin, and that team is absolutely loaded. I wouldn't want to see him land there, but it would be so chaotic. Kind of similar to Toronto, but I don't hate Pittsburgh. So it would be pretty funny to see him land in Pittsburgh and then they'd win another four cups in a row. Uh, so number five is Chicago. I mean, the rig takes would be spectacular if it went to Chicago. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, the league is helping Chicago yet again. Um, totally down. Number four, we have Arizona, strictly for the Taylor Hall narrative. Uh, that storyline is fantastic where he's just like the lottery magician and to see him win again, I mean, oh yes. And also it doesn't hurt that Arizona is an absolute garbage franchise and, you know, they need some help. So, you know, sending him to Arizona wouldn't be so bad. The Haz wouldn't need to play him. So, you know, that's that. Number three, Minnesota, because, you know, the epitome of mediocrity winning something is just absolutely absurd to me. It would be the perfect <laughs> fitting thing for 2020. Um, just the, the roller coaster continues and Minnesota finally wins something. <laughs> I mean, that would be spectacular. Uh, number two, uh, the Edmonton Oilers. Just, it's pure chaos over there. And Lafreniere to Edmonton. I mean, how many first overall picks is that for them? Uh, just absolutely fantastic. A line of what? I don't know. You could you could potentially run out Drysaddle, Lafreniere, and McDavid on the power play. That's absurd. 
That's absolutely absurd. So just come on, give me that. Uh, we the Habs wouldn't need to see them unless you know they make it to the Cup final. So yeah, screw it, let's do it. And number one, obviously, this was never in doubt. If he comes to the Habs, hometown boy, coming over to Montreal, our favorite team. Let's fucking go. That's that's obviously the number one scenario, and that concludes my list. Uh, very good list. I honestly, our lists are not that different. They are very similar in in many aspects, except for like a couple teams that I think we're we're gonna disagree on a little bit. Unless I can manage to persuade your to sway your opinion. So number six, we have the same bottom two, just alternated order. Number sixteen, I have the New York Rangers because if the Rangers win the lottery, I think like pissed and angry is going to be like my soul reaction because obviously as we talked about uh the disdain for tony d'angelo brendan lemieux the the team owner and so on uh, not to mention they also they just won the second pick last year capo caco jumped up quite a bit so uh yeah they don't need to win another lottery number 15 maple leafs kind of the same thing uh as you said obviously playing against lafreniere right next to austin matthews and mitch marner for the next 15 years or so would be a total nightmare mm-hmm. scenario for montreal but i mean you know it would be a little bit funny, uh, I think. So that's why it's ever so slightly higher than the Rangers. There would be a very slight aspect of humor to it, not to mention the fact that when the Leafs inev- inevitably uh, lose in the first round to the Bruins once again the next year, it would be about 10 times funnier now that they've got Alex- Alexi Lafreniere along for the ride as well. So 14. Yeah, number 14, I got the Florida Panthers. Uh, for whatever reason, um, whenever Montreal loses to Florida, it always seems to be the most frustrating losses, whether it's like a blown lead or like they gave up some bad goals. It's always losing to Florida is always for whatever reason, somehow always more frustrating than to any other team in recent years, especially. And I feel like throwing Lafreniere into the mix on the wrong side of the equation would certainly not help, not help the cause. Uh, Number 13, I got the New York Islanders. Similar reasons to you. I hadn't actually considered that. uh, Yeah. Putting Lafreniere into this very defensive system. That's kind of, you know, lowered Matt Barzal's offensive production recently probably wouldn't be a good recipe for him and for the entertainment aspect. But also, I think I've mentioned this before, I feel like when the New York Islanders are at the bottom of the standings or near the bottom, uh, the world is kind of in order. Like, everything feels at peace. Like, that's simply their position in the universe is uh, constantly losing. And the fact that they have kind of been on the up and up lately, uh, kind of unsettling for me. So sorry, fans. That's just uh, that's just how I feel. Maybe it's to do with like, like their fans going all crazy after Tavares left, like burning jerseys, making videos, like like we won't miss you, John, while they're like while they're crying in a parking lot. Like rub me the wrong way. Anyway, that's number thirteen. But on the other hand, Lafreniere walking in free agency as soon as he can uh, would be in like nine years or so would be absolutely golden. Anyway, yeah, coming to Montreal. All right. Number 12, I was very surprised you had them this high. The Chicago Blackhawks. I do not want Alexi Lafreniere going to Chicago. Not just because uh, I won't enjoy all the rigged takes, but uh, they have still won three Stanley Cups in recent memory. And even though they suck now, they are the poster boy, the golden child of the NHL, marketing them at every single chance they get. And Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane are, are they're still effective players, but within a couple of years, they'll probably be trending downward. And if that's when Alexi Lafreniere is getting into his prime, then uh, the Chicago Blackhawks are going to stay at the forefront of the NHL for the next 20 years. And it'll be totally unbearable. So, yeah, please don't go to Chicago, Alexi Lafreniere. Uh, number 11, Blue Jackets. I also don't want him going there. Uh, similar thing to you said. It'll just be too boring. 
Uh, no, like Seth Jones is probably the best player on the Blue Jackets, but like we don't hear about him that often. And Lafreniere won't have much forward talent to work with. His line mates will probably be like Pierre-Luc Dubois and Cam Atkinson or something. So uh, yeah, not to mention, I don't, he seemed like a nice guy in the interview. Uh, I don't wish him upon him that he would have to play under John Tortorella for an extended period of time. Um, number 10 on my list, I put the Calgary Flames just because it seems like a, a boring option to me. I don't know, whatever, like, I don't know. I, it's hard to, the Flames don't really move the needle for me one way or the other. So uh, yeah, number nine, I put the Minnesota Wild. Actually, initially, I thought maybe I was going to put them higher, kind of like you did. I think you had them like number four, right? Number three. Oh, you had them number three. So I was thinking of putting them around around that zone. But then I realized that Minnesota, the Minnesota Wild being mediocre is such a great joke for us that if they get Lafreniere and maybe start getting good, it would probably ruin the joke. And I don't want that joke to be ruined. So I decided to put Minnesota in the most mediocre position on this list, ninth out of 16, <laughs> ever, below, ever below the median mark. So so that's where Minnesota is, so that they shall remain mediocre eternally. I just uh, want to point out something. I mean, like, I, I don't think even Alexi Lafreniere could break the mediocrity curse for Minnesota. I think if he goes to Minnesota... They'll still barely be in the playoff bubble year after year. Maybe they make the playoffs every once every three years. But look, I don't think Alex Lafreniere. I never said he would bring them to excellence. I think that the the takes will be fantastic when it happens, like when the phase two happens, and perpetually for the entirety of his career in Minnesota. When they come in eighth or ninth, the jokes will still be alive. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not saying that like, oh, Alexi Lafreniere is gonna bring Minnesota to the playoffs immediately, and they won't be mediocre anymore. But like, if you give Minnesota like a marquee name, a superstar, then the whole kind of mediocre vibe is kind of all thrown off, in my opinion. So that's why I don't want them to get Alexi Lafreniere. Well, well, if anything, Alexi Lafreniere would prevent them from completely tanking and getting another superstar, and so thus keeping them in that mediocrity range, in like a perfect okay, equilibrium. You look at the rest of the team, this is not a playoff team at all. And so, <laughs> you know, you add Alexi Lafreniere, they're not making the playoffs the next three years. There's fucking nobody on that roster. And so, you know, perfect equilibrium. They were close this year. Yeah, but they weren't very good. I mean, just on paper. I mean, yeah. I think they just got a nice little stretch, but I mean, <laughs> the all mediocrity right. continues. Whatever. Let me move into the top half of my list. Number eight, I got the Winnipeg. I think that's the most debate we've had on them. Hmm? Sorry. Okay, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. It's mostly if we're talking about them. Uh, number eight, I've got the Jets. Uh, because uh, a little bit like the Flames, a little, kind of a boring option, but I like the Jets a little bit more. It was fun when they went to the conference finals a couple years ago, and I mean, they'll that'll be like five elite wingers that they have. Lafreniere will join Line, Wheeler, Kyle Connor, and Nick Ehlers. So that'll be fun to see how they work around that. Uh, they'll probably trade Nick Ehlers for a defenseman, but uh, they are probably not uh, considering that at the very moment. Number seven is Nashville. Uh, I was surprised that I had Nashville this high because I mentioned like Nashville's vibes been off for me like all season after trading PK last summer. Uh, but the more I thought about it, when Nashville was making that run to the conference final in 20, no, the Stanley cup final actually in 2017, that was so much fun. Even like through the TV, like that, uh, you know, the arena square, whatever it's called, like the streets were packed and the arena was so loud. I think like, I don't know, like tied records or something, loudest arena. I don't know. Anyway, it was super loud in there and it was such a great atmosphere it was so electric, and I want Nashville to get back to that level because it was super fun to watch. And I think, honestly, Alexi Lafreniere, maybe even like in his rookie year, if he were with Nashville, 
might immediately be the best forward that team has ever had. Like, I'm, I'm serious. Not only do I think he's going to be that good, but, like, Nashville hasn't really had any superstar forwards, even though they tried to, like, James Neal, Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, or, like, they tried to have them pose as ones, Matthew Shane maybe two. They haven't really been. Like, Victor Robertson, kind of the same deal. So, like, Lafreniere, to get that true superstar, I think will really bring that team back to life, and I'm here for that. Uh, number six, Carolina Hurricanes. Similar to what you said, uh, even though they're in the East with Montreal, uh, they're honestly one of my favorite teams in the NHL to watch and root for, like kind of last year on their way to the, the conference finals too, whole storm surge thing. And to add Lafreniere to Svechnikov, Aho, Taravainen, list goes on and on. Uh, the Carolina is going to be a cup contender and pretty fun one too. Number five, Pittsburgh. This one, honestly, I was expecting to have Pittsburgh a lot lower on the list. So I was surprised you had them. Uh, I think it was like number six you had them. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, just interrupt me, but uh, I think it was number six. Anyway, um, I thought you'd have them lower, but I have them at number five, not for the same reasons that you outlined, but because if Pittsburgh wins Alexi Lafreniere, then that means Montreal just beat them in the play-in, and Montreal is in the playoffs, which would be loads of fun. Uh, so that's why I think Pittsburgh winning Alexi Lafreniere wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Number four, Vancouver Canucks. Uh, similar to what you said, now we're just getting into the teams where like it would be super super fun to watch him play on. Uh, obviously, next to Elias Pettersson is going to destroy worlds forever. Number three, Arizona Coyotes, because people always joke about this, you know, Taylor Hall uh, always wins the lottery. But to be totally honest, even though everyone's always joking about it, I don't think we joke about it enough because it is absolutely nuts. This guy was drafted with the first overall pick. Uh, after I think the Oilers won a lottery that year, they had the first pick in 2011, Taylor Hall's rookie year, and then Taylor Hall's sophomore year, they won the lottery, won the first pick again. Uh, didn't win 2013 or 2014, but they got dry settled in 2014, so that's pretty good. 2015, they won the McDavid lottery. 2016, they didn't win the lottery, and then traded Taylor Hall like two months later. And then, since he's been with the Devils, they won the lottery, they missed, uh, sorry, they won the lottery, they made the playoffs, and then they won the lottery again. So basically, every time he's with the Devils in all three of those seasons, if he was in the lottery, he won it. And the Devils didn't have such good odds either year. I think the the history year, they had like fifth best odds. And last year, I think it was the same. It might have been like fourth or fifth best odds. So like no slam dunks. And Taylor Hall's managed to pull it off. And if they do it with the Coyotes again, that would be amazing. And I am totally here for that, even though Lafreniere in Arizona would be pretty boring. Uh, I'm here just for that Taylor Hall angle. Number two, the Oilers. Uh, this was not such a hard number two for me because not only watching him play with McDavid and or Dreisaitl forever would make for some legendary hockey, but uh, Twitter would absolutely flip out, not just because the Oilers have this whole, uh, they've won a bunch of lotteries in the past 10 years or so, reputation sort of thing, but also because the Oilers are one of the teams that would have had no business being in this lottery. They were fifth in the West and very close to being a team that got a buy. So if they lose to Chicago and win this lottery, everything is going to just totally implode, even more so than it already has. And number one, Montreal. Uh, I'm trying not to get my hopes up about it because I will just be disappointed. So for the time being, I am just, uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do, so I'm expecting Montreal's picking ninth. But I'm also going to expect that uh, the winner, I'm oh, sorry, not the winner, the loser of the Arizona-Nashville series, I'm expecting that whoever loses that series is getting Lafreniere. And so if that happens, then I'll be able to say, wow, I was correct. And if it doesn't happen, it'll be a surprise. Well, covering as many bases as we can, I see. Um, yep. Okay, well, that's a pretty decent list. 
Uh, I will point out for Chicago, I am sacrificing the long-term prosperity of myself in order for some a lot of short-term fun when they actually do win the lottery. Uh, yeah, solid list. I think they're both pretty similar. Uh, and I think we can move on to a couple of pieces of news that you want to bring up uh, before we move to the quiz. Yeah, two very small things. Well, maybe not very small, but compared to the lottery, not such big big deals at the moment. Uh, Jeff Bezos bought the naming rights to the Seattle Arena. Uh, I don't remember what it was called originally, but he has changed the name to the Climate Pledge Arena, which, I mean, say what you will about Jeff Bezos, that name is a mouthful. Uh, and I don't think it'll be very long at all before people start referring to it as the CPA, which, I mean, kind of rolls off the tongue pretty nicely. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's it's an interesting move. Uh, I think it's, I mean, if we're getting into it, uh, kind of, uh, I think it's a lot of it is for show. Uh, I know they have a lot of, like, green initiatives that he wants to do with the arena. That's cool. But it looks like a pretty big PR move for Jeff Bezos. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you on that one. Even though, obviously, you know, environment, very good, very good. But uh, be a, forgive us if we are a little bit skeptical of any anything that Jeff Bezos does to uh, to help the cause against climate change. Uh, and the second thing I want to mention is that it looks like the front runner for the new date of all the expiring contracts is being pushed back from Canada Day, where all the contracts were set to expire, to most likely October 31st, which means that for the uh, first and probably only time ever, we may get Free Agent Frenzy on Halloween, which I don't know about you, but for me would be by far the greatest Halloween of all time. Yeah, forget trick-or-treating. Uh, we've got oh, yeah. Free Agent Frenzy to watch on TV. And uh, I mean, that, that'd be bonkers. Um, the amount of, you know, spooky, scary contract jokes that we'll see will be absolutely off the charts. Uh, so, yeah, I'm here for Halloween free agency, 100%. I was never such a big uh, fan of trick-or-treating when I was when I was a little kid. Because, like, uh, so, like, I dressed up a couple of years and I just kind of, like, went out, like, with my little bag a little like pumpkin bag and like went to the neighbors, got some candy, went home. And like, honestly, I never really was, I wasn't one of those kids that would like binge eat all the candy that they just got. I, my mom says like when I was like five or six or something, I would literally, I would jump, I would dump all my candy on the floor and kind of just walk away and like forget about it until yeah. like maybe, a, maybe a couple times I would just like, I would have like, well, like one or two like little things. But I would I would never be like, all right, time to go eat my candy. Like a lot of times my sister or my or one of my parents would be like, Hey, you still got all that Halloween candy, you're gonna go eat something? They're like, hmm, good idea. I could go for a little chocolate now. So actually when I was ten years old, when not wait, wait, yeah, ten was my first year where I was like, Hey, you know what? I don't actually have to go trick or treating. You know, I'm not gonna go this year. And honestly, I don't regret it at all. I haven't gone trick or treating since I was nine. That was my last time. So uh, not such a big big deal for me if that get, gets cancelled. Uh, dressing up uh, it's kind of grown on me a little bit. Uh, costumes this past year, uh, I was man. What was I? I did something. Oh, I was, I was guy with whiteboard. I think, or at least that was my plan. And then I might have not decided not to do it for whatever reason. But that was my plan. Uh, I think this year I might dress up as Perry the Platypus. Uh, most looking forward to. But Halloween free agency though, is uh, James Duthie, and all the other TSN panel members. Uh, looking forward to see what costumes that they that they pull up in. That's true. I want some spicy TV. Uh, in the trick-or-treating sense, looks like we're pretty similar. I was never one uh, for the candy. I would go trick-or-treating 
uh, every year when I was a kid. But the candy would go untouched in my room. It would stay in that that you know that bag, the Halloween themed bag. And October thirty first of the next year, I would kind of just like dump the candy and uh, yeah, reuse the bag. So yeah, wasn't a huge candy waster. Uh, yeah, sorry, apologies uh, to all the kids whose candy I ended up taking away uh, by you know. Anyways, but yeah, costumes. I think last year I was a I was a Visco girl, and oh, you know yeah. you know that that was my costume. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I had the scrunchies and the. I think I wore a ponytail at one point or something like that. Anyways, that was a lot of fun. Uh, so, yeah, Halloween, absolutely. All for it. Uh, and, you know, if it comes down to it, I'll be watching in a costume. Maybe I'll dress up as one of the panel members. Uh, who knows? I got a lot of <laughs> Dress up as Bob McKenzie. Exactly. Uh, so, anything else to add before we move to our quiz of the week? Uh, no, I am ready for you to give me your trivia. Okay, here we go. So, this week's trivia is pretty simple. Uh, it's like an odd man out kind of scenario. I will name you six players. Uh, and you have two minutes to come up with uh, how all of them relate, uh, except for one of them. So I require you to name the player and then to re- name how why they're, why they're the different one. And, okay, so I understand that for some of these lists, you know, there are... Answers that are technically right, but it's not what I was looking for. And for those, I'll just tell you to keep looking. Uh, okay. So that's that. Okay? So we're really shooting for something here. If you get something similar, uh, I'll make a judgment on that, whether I accept it or not. And you you want two or three minutes per, per group. Uh, we'll start off with two, I think, because two minutes in trivia time, it actually feels like a pretty long time. So we'll start off with two minutes. And honestly, I feel like if I don't get it after two minutes, the extra minute probably wouldn't help me that much. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's get going. It's six players, and one of them is the odd one out. And I think we should stop. Your time is up automatically if you give me a wrong answer. All right, how's that? But like you get as many. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Uh, But if you give me something that's technically right but not the right answer, you keep guessing. Like it's still... You're still good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Here we go. First question. The timer starts after I list all the names. So, okay. here we go. Philip Dano, Brendan Gallagher, Thomas Tatar, Jonathan Drouin, Max Domi, and Charles Udom. Go. Uh, well, they're all, they're all Habs, so that's nice. Uh, let's see. Um... They were, like, Gallagher was drafted by the Habs, so was Udon. So it's not that. Uh, <laughs> Domi and Dano were both centers. Ooh, this is tough. Uh, okay, Udon sticks out as, like, he's probably played the least out of all of them. Like, he's a fringe NHLer. Uh, I'm not, am I allowed to, like, look up stats and stuff, or is that against the rules? Uh, I'll sure. Why not? I'll allow okay. It. Okay. I'm looking up. So what I'm looking up, I'm thinking if it's like Charles Udon is the only one who has like less than a hundred games played. I uh, know he's played 125, and it's probably not something stupid like 125 games or less. So I'm not gonna guess that. <laughs> no, <it's not> that. <laughs> okay. Um. One minute. Left. The fact. 
Okay, Gallagher and Udon are like, because they're the only two who it's like, both drafted by the Habs, never played in like the, the Western Conference or anything. It's kind of throwing me off. Uh, oh, uh, hmm. Ooh, I have an, I have an interesting one. Uh, Philip Dano is the only one out of these six players who was drafted by Mark Bergevin because Bergevin was with the Blackhawks at the time. Okay, that's correct, but it's not the right answer, so keep guessing. That's not what I was thinking. Ah, uh, I have no idea. Like, what could it be? Like, this this game, okay, I know I'm only, like, a little bit way through this game, but this game seems pretty dumb to me because, like, I don't even know, like, what angle do I go with? Like, what am I supposed to be thinking about? Like, height, uh, goals, assists, uh, playoff games? I don't know. Like, uh, oh, oh, I got something. Tom Statar is the only one that's not Canadian. No, that's not, that's not what I was thinking. Oh, come on. That's right. correct. Anyway, our time is up. Uh, what I was going for was left shooting Habs forwards, and Brendan oh. Gallagher is the only one that shoots right. So oh, that's so easy. Was, oh, come on. I was, I was right there. Uh, and yeah, that's the only Habs themed one. So I thought I'd start, I thought I'd start with that. Oh. But let's keep moving on. Let's keep moving Ouch. on. Let's, oh, we didn't, send, we, didn't set, we didn't set a bar. We, I have nine categories. So what do you think? Uh, if the first round is any indication, I think I'd be lucky to hit five out of nine. So, okay. So, so that we'll means, set that that means five the next eight for me, actually. Okay. Here we go. All right. That's fair. Okay. We ready? Yep. All right. Next round, we have Alex Barkov, Austin Matthews, Tyler Myers, Aaron Ekblad, Jeff Skinner, and Gabriel Landeskog. Uh, oh. I know this one. Um, Alexander Barkov is the only one of these players who has who did not win the Calder Trophy. Okay, there we go. That's a, that's absolutely correct. And yeah, you were, when you were like two. when you were like Matthews, Myers, Ekblad, I was like, okay, yeah, I know this one. Okay, all right, here we go. Next one. All right. Okay. Ilya Kovalchuk, Patrick Kane, Sidney Crosby, Corey Perry, Steven Stamkos. Evgeny Malkin. Ooh, okay. This is an interesting one because when you started Co- uh, Kovey, Kane, Crosby, I was thinking first overall picks. Stamkos also was the first overall pick, but now you have Perry and Malkin. And Malkin was the second overall pick, and Perry was like late first round. Uh, I'm just going to guess like uh, Perry's the only one that was not a top two pick. That's not what I was thinking. I didn't think so. But, uh, ooh, wait, how many of these guys are Stanley Cup champions? Uh, not Stamkos, not Kobe, so it's not that. Uh, Stamkos has been to a cup final, though, and I don't think Kobe has. So I'm going to guess Ilya Kovalchuk is the only one who's not been to the Stanley Cup final. That's not what I was thinking. All right, I didn't think so. Uh, hmm. Oh, oh, uh, might be the Hart Trophy. Malkin, uh, or did Stamkos, I don't know, Stamkos didn't win a Hart Trophy. Perry did, Crosby did, Kane did. I don't know if Kovalchuk did. So I'm just I'm ooh. I don't want to guess this because I don't know if Kovalchuk won a Hart Trophy. So I'll hold off on that one. Uh, uh, ooh, wait a sec. Fifty goals maybe? Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna get Patrick Kane is the only one out of these players who never scored fifty goals. Hey, that's exactly Yay! what I was thinking. And that I got is- it. Two for three. Yes. So I, Kane. I, I figured. I figured the Corey Perry one had something to do with the year he won the Hart Trophy, 
Uh, we scored 50 goals in 2010-11 cuz that was pretty crazy, but uh and that was right. Okay. Nice. Solid one. Here we go. Next one. All right. Miko Rantanen, Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl, Nikita Gusev, Dominic Cahoon, Matt Duchesne. What is happening with this? Uh, all right. So it's Rantanen. By the way, I'm typing all these names out just so I can look at all of them at once and remember. So it's Rantanen, McDavid, Draisaitl, Gusev, Cahoon, and who was the last one? Duchesne. Duchesne. Matt Duchesne. All right. Oh, boy. Uh... Miko Rantanen, let's see, 10th overall pick, Colorado, 2015, from Finland. McDavid, Edmonton, first overall pick. Uh, Dreisaitl, also Edmonton. Gusev, uh, he's with the Devils, drafted by the Lightning. I think he was like a 7th round pick. Dominic Cahoon, uh, he's German, just like Dreisaitl. Uh, Duchesne, what, what is, what's up with Duchesne? What is, uh, hmm. Ah, uh, man, I have no idea at all. Uh, maybe, like, Cahoon was, like, if, I don't know if you played with Drysaddle on, like, a world championship team or something for Germany. Uh, Duchesne played with, uh, oh, oh, wait a second. Uh, Rantanen, I'm trying to think. Got something to do with, like the World Cup because like McDavid, Drysaitel, Gusev, Duchesne were all at the World Cup. I'm not sure if Rantanen was though. How much time do I have left? Thirty seconds. Thirty seconds. You know, I don't think I'm going to be able to think of anything else. So I'll just I'll guess that like Rantanen was on the Finnish World Cup team, and I'll say Dominic Cahoon is the only one of these players who didn't play in the World Cup. Uh, that's not what I was thinking, and I'm going to see if Rantanen was on the World Cup. Um. I don't think he was. Yeah, I didn't think so. No, so that's an incorrect answer. So you see the, the rest, you yield the rest of your time. The answer yes, was Leon Dreisaitl, because he's the only one with a number that's not in the 90s, uh, or even more specifically, 95 and plus. Oh, that's pretty, that's clever. Uh, Cahoon wears 95, Shane wears 95, Gusev wears 97, McDavid wears 97, obviously, and Rantanen wears 96. Well, Dry Saddle was 29. That one, that one, I like that one, but it was pretty tricky because I think Dominic Cahoon, like he just switched to 95 when he was traded to Buffalo. I think he was like 20 something with the Penguins. So he barely has worn no- number 95. Not, not that I'm, not that I'm complaining about this question because very clever. Just wanted to point that out. Okay. But technically, the point is valid. So of course. here we go. Two for four. Okay. Next one. Ben Sherratt, Alex Radulov, Jack Johnson, Phil Kessel, Jeff Carter, Paul Stastny. All right. Uh, what was the – oh, Jeff Carter. Okay, that was it. Huh. All right. Jeff Carter, LA Kings. He was oh, – so when you started saying like Sherratt, Radulov, Johnson, I was thinking like these are all players who signed deals as free agents uh, with their current teams which is also true for Stastny, not Kessel. He was traded to Arizona, also not true for Carter. So uh, I don't know why I'm still talking about that as a possibility because obviously not that. Uh, let's see. Um, Carter and Kessel are Stanley Cup champions. The other ones aren't. Uh, Stastny has played for Colorado, St. Louis, Winnipeg. Uh, these are – hey, wait, wait. Jeff Carter 
was traded for Jack Johnson. Um, I don't think there's anything with that. Stasny was also a deadline trade. Kessel's been traded. Uh, ben Chirot and Alex Radulov have both never been traded, I'm pretty sure. So it's not that. Uh, oh, man. I don't know. I don't know. This is impossible. This is so hard. Uh, our Alexander Radulov is the only one who was not born in North America. Uh, no, that's not what I was thinking. But keep yeah, going because it's I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Hmm. Not feeling good about this one either. I think I'm in a bit of a slump. Uh, man, I don't know. Uh, ben Chirot. I'm just trying to think about like, like what qualities do players have? Like cap hit? Or is it something like they were all born in February except one? That'd be, no, there's no way you'd do something stupid like that. Uh, <laughs> 15 yeah. seconds. Okay, you might have to yield this one. Yeah, two of them shoot right. Uh, two of them are defensemen. Yeah, I don't know. I quit. Okay, here we go. This is an opportunity for me to plug the episode from three weeks ago where I also made another quiz because the answer is Jack Johnson because everybody else was featured in the Who He Score More For quiz from three weeks ago. Oh, come on. <laughs> that was evil. Everybody else. Yes, it was. I went outside of the box for that one. Um, a real fuck you group of players. <laughs> wow. All right. So I guess I'm two for five now, and now I've got to finish off three for four to meet that threshold. Yeah, we, we're getting harder as we go, by the way. So like these last few... It's harder than that? There's no way. Okay, I, I don't know. All right, this one's pretty tough. Here we go. Ready? Okay. Ryan O'Reilly. Okay. Ryan O'Reilly. Alex yep. Radulov. Ryan McDonough, Ilya Kovalchuk, Leon Dreisaitl, Joe Pavelski. All right. Uh, Ryan McDonough is the only defenseman. No. But correct, but no. Okay. Uh, let's see. O'Reilly has... Uh, he drove a truck into a Tim Hortons. He has a consmite <laughs> and a... And a Stanley Ryan O'Reilly is the only one who has uh, driven a vehicle into a Tim Hortons. You got it. No, I'm just kidding. As though okay. I was thinking. Didn't and... think so. All right. Dry Settle's the only player who scored 100 points this year. No. Is this what we're just going for? Finding people with singular accomplishments? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, man. All right. Half of these players uh, belong to the Habs at one point. Radulov, McDonough, Kovalchuk. Interesting thing. Dreisaitl, Pavelski, Kovalchuk, McDonough, Radulov, O'Reilly. They all have three syllables in their name, interestingly enough. Uh, Kovalchuk, first overall pick. Uh, hmm, oh, I was in, Okay, O'Reilly was not a first-round pick. Neither was Pavelski, so it's not that. Oh, man, you know, this one, I don't like this quiz. This is. I think this. you took it a little, you took it a step too far this time. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Ilya Kovalchuk is the only one making less than a million dollars against the cap. Incorrect. Correct, but not what I was thinking. Yeah, I know. Correct, but incorrect. Oh, man. Correct, but incorrect. All right. That's the slogan. That's what I should call it, this quiz. <laughs> correct, correct, but incorrect. incorrect. All right. O'Reilly's number 90. Radulov's number 46. No, you wouldn't do a number one again. Right, no, I'm not doing another number one. one. Okay. 20 seconds. Uh, oh, man. I don't know. 
how am I supposed to? How about like Ryan McDonough is the only one who's uh, I don't know never scored twenty goals. No, that's not it. All right, um, your time's up. Yeah. So all right, this is funky. This is really funky fresh. Um, well, if you look at their ages, you'll see that you know oh, come on. Leon Dreisaitl is significantly no, but that's not. Let me finish. Leon Dreisaitl is significantly younger than the other few, and that means he hasn't lived through a lockout. Uh, and I thought Kolchak and Radulov would give it away because all of these players, except for Leon Dreisaitl, have left for the KHL from the NHL and then returned. And uh, O'Reilly, McDonough, Pavelski all went to the KHL during the lockout year. Uh, and obviously, Kolchak and Radulov had significant stints in that league. You really thought I would get that just because... Wait, so, like, are you telling me that if I had said Dreisaitl is the only one under, I don't know, 26, that you wouldn't have allowed that. I would have had to been that specific. Like, these players... No, I would have accepted that. I would have accepted the age thing had you you gone with it. Because these players are all significantly older than Dreisaitl. So, yeah, if you had pointed that out, it is related, so I would have accepted it. But you (sighs) didn't. So... Wow. Here we go. This is way too hard, man. You know what I'm going to do for the next one? I'm just going to find out whichever player is the oldest... And say they're all younger than this guy, except for this guy. Okay, look, these are not th- these are not totally arbitrary. Okay, like this is, I put some pretty, you know, okay. unambiguous. Okay, sure. Okay, whatever. Right. Let's give me the mean, next like, one. All right, here we go. Okay, uh, which one should I do next? All right, let's go. John Carlson, Justin Falk, Cam Fowler, Ryan McDonough, Keith Yandel. Ryan Suter. Uh, Keith Yandel is the only one who is not on the U.S. Olympic team in Sochi. Wow, that was fast. Yes, that's that's the right answer. Yeah, you went Carlson, Falk, Fowler. And I was thinking at the, at the time, I remember being like, wow, Justin Falk and Cam Fowler made it over Keith Yandel and Dustin Bufflin. So when you hit Yandel, I was like, bam, I think I got it. So, yeah. all right. Yeah, he was proud of that. that year. All right, here we go. Nice. I got my momentum up now. Okay. I got to get the last two. All right, here we yeah. go. This one's spicy. This one's spicy. All right, here we go. Oh. This one's spicy. Okay, here we go. Vladimir Tarasenko, Piquet Subban, Austin Matthews, Patrice Bergeron, Sidney Crosby, Claude Giroux. You know, for some reason, I've never played the NHL video games. But I feel like it says something to do with that because Matthews, Bergeron, Giroux, Subban, I I can all picture them being on the cover of that video game. I'm just not sure if it's Tarasenko or Crosby is the one who's never been on the front. And I don't know if I... Oh, man. Because Tarasenko is like a weird one to throw in if it's not him. But on the other hand, like, was Crosby really never on at the cover of any of those games? Uh, oh, yeah, I'm going to go with Sidney Crosby. It's the only one of these players that's never been on the cover of an NHL video game. Here we go. We got it. I, wow. I am very <laughs> impressed with myself for that one. Wow. What a snipe. Okay, I did not. Wow. wow. Continue, you've never played one. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah, because exactly. every year they do this, like, a big event, like, revealing the cover of the game. And I remember, like, Giroud Bergeron. I, I don't know why it just it stuck out to me as soon as you got to Subban Matthews Bergeron. 
Like I, that's wow. I'm impressed with myself. Nice. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So Tarasenko, I think, let me just pull up the year. Um, I had a list. Anyways, it's they've like all been on the cover. Or something? Okay. Uh, I think it's 2017. So actually okay. pretty recently. Um, yeah. Solid. Sidney Crosby has never been on the cover of an NHL game. So that's, that's an huh. interesting fact. Weird. All right. I think you have four. So like, this is it. This is it right here. For yeah, all man, the I hit the last games. two. I hit the last two and I can yeah. get this one and I can win. All right. So, you know what? We set the threshold at a right level, and this quiz was not impossible. Okay? All right? So, as it turns out, yeah. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Okay. Sergei Bobrovsky, Yaroslav Halak, Thomas Grice, Corey Crawford, Robin Lehner, Frederick Anderson. All right. Uh, hmm. Frederick Anderson? Right? Frederick? Yeah, Frederick Anderson. Yeah, yeah. Frederick. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was Frederick or Craig. All right. So these are all goalies. Uh, Grice has played for the Penguins, the Sharks, the Islanders, maybe the Coyotes. I don't know. Halak's been around to lots of teams, including the Islanders. He's on Boston now. Bobrovsky signed a deal with Florida. He's also played for Columbus and Philadelphia. Freddie Anderson has played for... Oh. Uh, hmm. I have a theory. Corey Crawford is the only one of these players who has never been traded. Uh, no, that's not what I was thinking. Correct, but incorrect. Okay, I thought I might have gotten it there. Uh, I, I have a feeling I'm not going to get this one. I really do. Uh, Corey Crawford is the only one of these goalies who is not European-born. Uh, correct, but incorrect. All right, correct, but incorrect. Uh, oh, here's a here's a thought. Uh, Frederick Anderson was supposed to play for Team Europe at the World Cup, but he didn't because he was injured. So I'm gonna say Frederick Anderson is the only one of these goalies who was not on a 2016 World Cup team. Correct, but incorrect. Here we go. That's okay. three in a row. Boy. Yeah, because none of these none of these ideas are like, yeah, I know that's the one. It's just kind of like ideas that I have. Uh, ooh, hmm. I don't how hmm, this is a kind of a shot in the dark because I don't really know how much time do I have? Thirty seconds. Okay, yeah. So I don't think I'm gonna win, but I'm gonna go with Frederick Anderson is the only goalie on this list that has never played on the same NHL team as another goalie also on the list. <laughs> that's 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 a stretch. Correct, but incorrect. I think. That's, I'm pretty sure it's actually uh, incorrect and incorrect because oh, okay. I don't think Bobrovsky has either. But right, I was just okay. Okay, incorrect, incorrect. The answer was all right. I did another trophy one. That's what I did because all of these players except for oh one, has won the William M. The Jennings, Jennings. Award. Oh, of course. Oh, come on. And the answer is Sergey Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky. Yep. yep. Um, has oh, won man. the award. So yeah. you know they're all part of the hollow tandem. Um, I put Laner and Grace on there just to give you a small hint uh, because they won it together uh, a couple years ago. Yeah, I didn't remember if you put like if you put John Gibson instead of Corey Crawford, I probably would have gotten it or at least had a higher chance of getting it. But I, I won't fault you for that. Yeah, Anderson's funky because you know you think of him on the Leafs, but he won it on the Ducks, right? So yeah, that's that. All right, that's the quiz, folks. Wow. Well, 
you know what? Even though I got a four out of nine, which sounds embarrassing, I'm pretty proud of like those previous two with like the the cover of the uh, of the video game and the U.S. Olympic team. I'm pretty proud of myself that I managed to hit those. The Olympic one really fast, and the video game one. I have no idea where how my brain came up with that one. Yeah, I didn't expect you to get the NHL cover thing because I knew you hadn't played the games. So I was yeah. like, yeah, it's a stretch, but maybe. Hey, you pulled it out of the bag. Yeah. Look, I thought you'd do worse than 5 out of 9, and even 4 out of 9, to be totally honest, because, yes, I'm 100% aware that this is a very tough quiz, uh, and I had that in mind when I was making it. So, yeah, solid stuff. And uh, anything you want to add before we call it an episode? Very final thing. Uh, this past week, we created an Instagram account uh, where we are uh, probably going to be posting things, at least every once in a while. Maybe we'll post the episodes there. Uh, so follow us there. Uh, that'll be fun. And uh, I think maybe there's a chance that the creation of that account has uh, already spiked our listenership a little bit. So if you're new to our podcast, hope you enjoyed it. Welcome aboard. Uh, we usually release every Sunday, uh, but sometimes we release on Saturday just because of circumstances, I guess. So uh, yeah, welcome aboard. All right. There we go. Perfect. Uh, so yeah, that's it for us this week. Uh, you know, send us any prospects that you'd like us to analyze in the future as always. Uh, we've got, I think we've got a couple of, we've got a couple of prospects due for next week that we keep pushing back. So we'll, we'll probably have, unless we get some big news next week, we'll be back with a prospect analysis. Uh, so yeah, thanks for listening as always, uh, sticking around through these quarantine and times and, uh, yeah, subscribe, tell your friends and we'll see you next week. Cheer for team E. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today.